0: 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. I'd given serious consideration to not preaching tonight and just turn it all over to the campers, but I want to preach a certain message next week uh, that I don't feel comfortable preaching until after I've. Uh, preach this message tonight next week the title of the message is going to be the ability to do the ability to do and boy do we ever need that the ability to do because we can't do it ourselves but that's next week but before we think about that we need to think about what God can do and tonight I'm going to bring a message on the can do God The can do God. I preached this message several years ago here uh, somewhere in in, in the past and uh, so if you've got a photographic memory and you've got it all down I'm sorry that I've wasted your time but maybe just maybe you missed something that you can pick up on tonight. I don't know about you but uh, I need to hear the same things over and over and over again Mm -hmm. myself but uh, here's the point and the reason I'm doing this because, as I said, next week i talk about the ability to do. But before we consider the source of our strength, we need to consider the strength of our source. Amen. The strength of our source. And that's what we're looking at here this evening. The strength of our source that can do God. Now... I don't think there's anyone here to be so foolish as to say, well, I I don't need any help. I'm absolutely uh, self-dependent. I I, I don't depend on anybody else. Everything's going good. I don't have any problems. I don't have any needs. Uh, So all of us, if we're honest, have to admit we need help. The question is, where do you go for help? And sadly, most people, I, I know you've got it figured out, but most people don't. They go to all of the wrong places. And believe it or not, I think a lot of times we could learn some lesson from the children because children just tend to be open and honest and transparent. You know, they're not trying to be pretentious. And so they they just lay it all out there. I read about one of the boys, name was Paul. And he wrote a letter to God, and I thought it was interesting, and I want to read that letter to you tonight. He said, Dear God, are you in charge of babies? I have three sisters, which is good, but I'd like to put in an order for a brother. I hope this special order won't upset you. Looking forward to hearing from you very soon, Paul. (laughs) Isn't that just like a kid? I mean... Here's a kid that wants something and feels a need for something, and and he just believes that God can do it, and so he just takes it to the Lord and puts in his special order. Well, you know, it, it goes without saying that m- most children believe God can do anything, and that's a, a truth that we, we adults need to rediscover. Sometimes we can kind of forget that, that God can do anything. And even the great prophet Jeremiah, my favorite Old Testament prophet, even he needed to be reminded of that fact. So I want you to look at verse 27, and here's the question I want you to think about tonight. Behold, that means stop what you're doing, sit up, pay attention, take note. Behold, God is saying, listen to me, behold, I am the Lord the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for me? Now this question wasn't asked about God, of God, or to God, but it was asked by God himself, and he wants all of us to know the answer. The only other time that I know of in the Bible that God asked that question was over in Genesis chapter 18, where Sarah laughed whenever God told Abraham that he was going to have a son uh, in in, in their old age, and she laughed, and and God made that statement. Is anything too hard for me? And so I want you to notice here that God is asking this question uh, to Jeremiah. And by the way, Jeremiah already knew the answer. Look at verse 17. Jeremiah says, Oh, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. Jeremiah already knew the answer to the question, and yet God is asking him that very question. Since that's true, then we need to give serious consideration to this text, because in this There are four things that leap out at me whenever I think about this statement. Number one, there's no promise that God can't keep. Look at verse 22. He says, And has given them the land, talking about what God did for Israel, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Now notice the promise had been made way back to their forefathers. And now he's saying that God has given them this land. But mark it down and we have scriptural evidence that there were many occasions where the Israelites became doubtful and they wondered if this promise would ever come true. And now here we see evidence of the fact that God kept his promise. There was a teacher many years ago the name of Everett Storms and he spent 18 months going through the Bible looking for all of the promises in the Bible. He concluded that there are 8,810 promises, but here's the, here's the point, 7,787 of those were made by God to man. Now, I can't vouch for the accuracy of that, and I'm not going to spend the next 18 months looking up all of the promises in the Bible. But the point is here... That God has given us a promise for every situation that we will ever find ourselves in. And just as God kept the promise with ancient Israel, and believe me, if you know anything about their history, and many of you do, you know there were times it looked like the party's over. I mean, hey, this is... Uh, This is the end of the game. We've lost. We've failed. We'll never get to the promised land. That's what what it looked like, and yet God kept his promise. Do you realize that your only chance of getting to heaven is if God keeps his promise? Everything... Is depending upon the promise of God and that's why we can know for certain that we're saved we know for sure that we're going to heaven as Titus 1 2 says in hope of eternal life which the God that cannot lie promised before the world began God can't lie And whenever the Lord says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus said, he that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And all of those other promises related to salvation. When the Lord gives us those promises, we can rest assured that he is not going to fail. There's no promise that God can't keep during this coronavirus and other difficult times in our life. We come face to face with needs and situations that we don't understand, questions that we can't answer, and we need to fall back on the promises of God. Uh, You know, it would be easy just to curl up in a ball in the corner somewhere and try yourself to sleep because the world is so horrible and so terrible. I've got news for you. We have a God that that is greater than the world, and so... God keeps his promises. Secondly, there's no prayer that God can't answer. Now, all of this is related to our text. I've been talking about the fulfilling of his promises in that regard. And, and if you look at Jeremiah 33, just turn over one page, verse 3 here. And in fact, when you get the prayer prompter, this is the verse I chose to, to put on there with each issue of the prayer prompter. And it says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That was the promise that God had given to the children of Israel. And if you want to really appreciate this, what's recorded in chapter number 32 God had said to the Chaldeans, "If you go back, for example, now I'm not going to read all of the verses, but I'll give you the I'll give you the the place where where this is found, verses one through five. He says that the Chaldeans are going to besiege Jerusalem and take their land. How about that? I, I mean, here here we see God has fulfilled His promise. He's brought them into the Promised Land. Now He turns right around and and says the Chaldeans are going to come in and take it all away from you." Well, I mean, that's pretty discouraging, right? I mean, how would you feel if God himself told you, you're going to lose everything you've got next week? Well, no doubt you'd be down in the dumps. But now, verse 6 through 12, God instructed Jeremiah to go out and to purchase a field. From the natural standpoint, this makes no sense at all. Why would you waste money on real estate when you know it's going to be taken away from you? And God says, go out there and purchase this field. And that's exactly what he did. And way back in verse number 11, he says, so I took evidence of the purchase of both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was opened. In other words, today we'd say I registered it down at the courthouse. I've got evidence of it. I went out just like God said. I don't understand why God wanted me to do that. But God told me to buy that field and I took my hard-earned money and I purchased the field nevertheless. Something that makes no sense whatsoever. But Jeremiah obeyed that promise because Jeremiah knew based on what we're told in verses 13, 14, and 15, he knew that God was going to restore the land. The Chaldeans are going to take it from you, but I'm going to give it back to you. See, it's based on a promise that God had made, and here we find the, 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 the encouragement of prayer where God says, You call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I'll show thee great and mighty things that you don't know anything about. When you get down to verse 37 through verse 41, that phrase, I will, is found nine times. In other words, God gives a promise that we have both the right and the responsibility to pray for. If God promised it, we ought to pray for it. Amen. So many times God gives these wonderful, exceeding, great, and precious promises. And, you know, we got it in our mind. Well, if he wants to do it, he'll do it. Why should I ask? If that's what God wants to do. Who's going to stop him? He'll do it anyway. No. God expects us to pray about those matters. We become the means whereby God does that which he has purposed for our life. We all know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people saved. Whenever unsaved people come into our congregation, mark it down, God wants them to be saved. And we ought to be praying that they will be saved. Somebody says, well, yeah, but maybe they'd have been saved if you'd just preached a better sermon. Maybe they'd have been saved if you'd just prayed. Now think about it because there's a whole lot more depending on your prayers than on my sermons because without prayer my sermons are absolutely worthless as is everything else we try to do everything hinges on this matter of prayer and 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 God wants us to understand there's no prayer that he can't answer he has the ability number three Number three, there's no problem that God can't solve. Whenever you look at verse number 19, we see that Jeremiah reveals the fact that he knows that God is omnipotent. That is, he's all-powerful and he's omniscient, that God knows all things. And when you understand that, you realize that there's no problem that God can't solve. He knows everything. He can do anything. And, and, and with, with our problems, whatever they are, If you think you don't have a problem, that's your biggest problem. It really is, because if we'll examine ourselves in the light of God's Word and just go through it every day, that's one of the important things about us having Bible study every single day of our life. We get into the Word, and God speaks to us through the Word, and God reveals those things through His Word that's displeasing in His sight. And that means I've got a problem. Because if my lifestyle, if my conduct, if my attitude is problematic with God, then I've got a serious problem. We all have problems that we have a God that's bigger than any problem. What is your problem tonight? Think about it. What is your problem? You're probably thinking, well, which one? Well, that's what I'm, which, maybe it's a medical problem. Uh, Good to see Don back, and we had others this morning, folks that have recovered from the COVID uh, virus. Thank God for that. And there are others with health issues, people that are in dire need right now of God's touch concerning their medical problems. And I'm glad that we have a God who is the great physician. There's no medical problem you'll ever have that God can't solve. I remember whenever Brother Rick Morris was, uh, went down to MD Anderson, got the diagnosis, cancer in the eye. What? Uh, who ever heard of that? Nobody gets cancer in, in the eye, you know? I mean, well, we, that's the way we think. We certainly don't think we'll ever get anything like that. Kind of knocks you off your feet, doesn't it, Brother Rick? I mean, all of a sudden, it, your equilibrium's all out of whack because of that, and yet we have a God that can take care of that. You say, well, I don't have a medical problem. I got a money problem. Well, I got good news for you. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. Amen. Our God is able to meet those money problems. You say, well, I got something worse than that. I got a marriage problem. Yeah, you do. That can be worse than any of the problems I've been talking about here tonight. But listen, the Lord made the first message and he can mend your marriage. Don't you ever dare give up on your marriage don't ever even think about that d word get it out of your mind forever and realize that when you enter into that relationship that it's for better for worse for richer for poor and sickness and in health and whatever it is you're in it for the long haul until death do you part you see And God can mend that marriage. It's never beyond God's ability to put it back together. It might be tonight someone maybe has a moral problem. You know, I know we can really keep this stuff hidden a lot of times and so last thing we want to do is to admit you know I've got a problem when it comes to the matter of morality I got good news for you tonight there's no problem too great for our God he can make you a new creature he he can restore the years the locusts have eaten I mean our God is able whenever you've fallen flat on your face and you think you can never get up again our God can get you back on your feet don't ever ever think that you know you have fallen, and, and as a result of that, that you can never be restored. That's just a lie. Someone said, I thought it was an interesting statement. Said every sin is the result, ultimately, of believing that God can't do something. Every sin ultimately is the result of believing that God can't do something. Somebody, let's say, they steal money. Why, why would they do that? Well, maybe it is that, you know, that they believe that even God can't meet my needs. So I've so I, I got to feed my family. I'm going to steal what I need. It might be in regards to divorce. They come to the conclusion that even God can't reconcile this marriage. It's hopeless. And they feel that God can't put it back together and consequently they give up on it. What about suicide? There are people that have come to that place in their life to where they feel there is no use to even try to go on. The pain is too great. I just want to end it all. In other words, it's their belief that even God can't help me bear my burden. Even God can't relieve me of my pain, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'll just kill myself. So maybe there's something to that statement. Every sin is the result ultimately of believing that God can't do something. Because when we believe that God can do anything, it changes our perspective on everything. Then number four, and lastly, there is no person that God can't save. Amen. Oh, I tell you what, I've met some folks, I have worked with some folks, I have dealt with them, I've talked to them over and over and over again about their need of salvation. And sometimes you just come to the conclusion that there's no hope. Notice verse 28. He says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Do you know anything about that story? Over in Daniel chapter 4, if you want to turn there just briefly. Daniel chapter 4. Now remember, they've been taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. It seems like they've lost everything. I know God said he's going to restore it, but at this point, you know, it seemed like that there is no hope. And here is Nebuchadnezzar who boasted, you know, who is the Lord that I should obey him? After all, I'm the king. I'll do what I want to do. And he did. But then God did what he wanted to do. God took away his mind and he became as a beast out in the field. Uh, here, Think about that for a minute. The king who lives in a palace that eats the finest of food is now living out in the field and his nails and his hair begins to grow. It's grotesque. You wouldn't even recognize the man. And the dew from heaven is falling upon him and he's eating grass like an oxen what a sad sight boy if ever there seemed to be anybody that was hopeless i mean that's it but boy when god got through with him it tells us in daniel 4 verse 34 i nebuchadnezzar lifted up mine eyes into the heavens and mine understanding returned unto me And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. This is a heathen king that believed in many gods and now he's reduced it all down to Jehovah God and he says in verse 37 now. After that horrible experience, after the revelation of God's mighty power, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and His ways, judgment, and those that walk in pride He is able to abase. I'll tell you, if God can save a man like that, He can save anyone Now, I mention this because every one of you can think of some dear loved one that's unsaved. Admittedly so. And it breaks your heart to think about them dying and going to hell. Whatever you do, don't you give up because there's no person that God can't save. It's like I heard many years ago said, I never met anyone who was so good that they didn't need to be saved, and no one that was so bad that they couldn't be saved. That's true. Regardless of how bad they are down in the gutter of life, I want you to know that God can do whatever needs to be done. And more importantly, God wants you to understand that he can do whatever needs to be done. But listen, what God does is often the result of what we do. In other words the promises are conditional god says if you'll call upon me then i'll show you great and mighty things which you know not you see what god does is dependent upon what we do we can't live in disobedience to god and expect to gain the blessings of god i know folks that go from one problem to another And if they would listen to me, I could tell them in 10 seconds exactly what their problem is. Their problem is they're living in disobedience to God. And I know that because I've got two eyes. I can see it. It's obvious that they don't care anything about the will of God. And then they want to complain when everything goes wrong. No one sins successfully. That's a costly proposition when you decide to break God's commandments for all of the negative things that we can think about in life. We have this one great positive. We have a can do God. The old circuit riding preacher uh, many years ago called Uncle Bud Robinson. He He made a statement i jotted it down in my bible so i'd never forget it says i'm standing on the promises walking in his footprints leaning on the everlasting arms and drinking from the fountain that never shall run dry and that ought to describe every one of us that we're living our life in that manner totally dependent upon god We have a can-do God, so let's not throw our hands up in despair and think if we stick our head out the door that we're going to get the COVID virus or something else. I believe in taking precautions. I believe in washing your hands. I believe in being careful and all of that. But it's nonsensical when we Christians act like God is dead and that we can't worship Him because of a, we've been overcome by our fears. We have a God greater than our fears. And we need to stand up and show the world that we believe that God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. I'm going to take every precaution. But I'm going to be, keep preaching as long as God gives me the strength to do it. And if I die as a result of that, so be it. I can't think of a better place to die. We have a can-do God. And when you leave here tonight, you ought to be encouraged. Because listen, living the life of a disciple has, has carries with it great demands. The Lord himself imposes these demands upon us as his people it's not easy living the christian life it requires a miracle every day we need a power that is greater than than anything that we have in and of ourselves and next week lord willing we're going to we're going to consider that power we're going to talk about the ability to do and it's god remember this Paul said it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He puts the desire in your heart, and then he gives you the ability to do it. But you've got to tap into that resource in order to, in order to gain from it. So be encouraged tonight, and be an encourager to somebody tonight. Let your neighbor know what a mighty God you serve. Amen. All right, let's all stand.